Hello, and welcome once again to Yester Ladies. I'm Dana. And I'm Heather. And Heather, what are we talking about today? <laughs> well, Dana, we are talking about Rani Abaka. And she's um, a pretty cool Indian queen who was a real tough tough woman. She so, was. Yeah. She was pretty tough. She was fierce. I think it's a good <laughs> word to describe her. So uh, she goes by many names though. Yeah. So we're going to hear a couple of different names we've decided for the purposes of this episode. Uh, we'll probably refer to as Ronnie Apica or just Apica as we go through. Yeah. I might, I might slip into just calling her Ronnie too. Cause I feel like that's how I wrote it in my notes a lot of the time. Which, <laughs> yes. And Ronnie is queen, right? And um, I think we discovered that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so we should specify, of course, this is India, the country, not, we're not talking about um, First Nations peoples in North America. Uh, and the general time period we're talking about, and we need to clarify that a lot of the history that is kind of coming down to us is kind of, um, it's folklore, it's oral tradition. And there are some accounts from the Portuguese who figure very largely in this story. Um, spoiler alert. Um but uh, the the dates are a little bit confused. I mean, we know that this is the um, kind of the latter part of the 16th century. Um, but I, did you find anything concrete about her actual date of birth? No. Yeah. It's, it's all very vague. Yeah. And the window that I found most common was between 1530 and 1599. Um, right. But and then I found a larger window when they were talking about Oh, she might have been more than one person. Oh, I thought gonna, that we're that was. Get into that. I found that that was the window for the oh, three. The three. Women. So okay. So just to clarify, this is uh, this is definitely about um, a historical person, and there are this is verified. This is a real person, but it may have been three people. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there were three abacas, a mother and two daughters, and it's seems like historians seem to agree that probably most of this refers to the second daughter um, who kind of maybe as we'll talk about these battles that mm -hmm. she fought um, it's probably her that the folklore refers to but what it seems like what ended up happening over time was that um, this queen kind of became, these three queens kind of became conflated in folklore and oral tradition as kind of one personality. Uh, we do know that these three women, all three of them, um, resisted the Portuguese in their colonial efforts around this um, small town. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a little bit amorphous here. <laughs> we, this is, we're kind of, we're going to refer to Rani Abaka as, as one person, because that's what all of the historical accounts that we read basically do. That's what the folklore does. But just be aware that this is probably kind of three people, <laughs> but they're related. <laughs> We're merging some mother-daughter stories here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so um, our, uh, our story has to kind of begin with the context of the colonial doings of the Portuguese in India at this time. So the region of India that we're talking about is southern India and specifically the western coast of southern India. So it's getting fairly close um, towards the, the southern tip of India. It's kind of, you know, that triangular shape that, you know, 
goes down <laughs> into the ocean. Um, and Ulal was this um, fairly small port town on the western coast. Um, and uh, apparently it's about eight kilometers um, outside of uh, Mangalore. Which and Mangalore was a major city even in the 16th century. So, at the time, it was pretty big. So, okay, so this is the western coast of India in the 16th century, and um, specifically in this region of Ulal, uh, ginger and pepper mm. were two big commodities. That uh, I guess it was a very verdant, lush area. Um, they were very successful with farming and pepper and. Uh, what did I just say? Pepper and ginger. ginger. Yeah. Were two commodities that were, you know, came from this area. And of course this was, this was the era of the spice trade and that was a big deal. So control of the Western coast of India was huge for all of these colonial powers. So the kind of the three big colonial powers at the time, of course, were the English, the Dutch, the Portuguese, they were three big players in this area. So the Portuguese kind of first got this foothold in 1498, so 50-odd years kind of before all of the events around Rani Abaca. Abaca. We couldn't, we can't figure out whether it's supposed to be Abaca or Abaca or what. So we landed on Ab- Abaca. Is that what we landed on? But Almost like Abacus. Abacus. Yeah, Abaca. I don't know. We, we thought that sounded nice. So we're going with that, which is awful. <laughs> it's just complete cultural appropriation. Yeah, so please it do, if better. you know, please do correct us. Oh, boy. Um, so anyway, uh, 50 years before her era, the Portuguese established this foothold um, under Vasco da Gama, who is a pretty big name in history, in Portuguese history specifically. And they landed um, on the, uh, as I said, the southwestern kind of tip of India. And they wanted to control all of the western harbors along there, which would mean they would monopolize the spice trade. So they were pretty successful in doing this. And they, they kind of annexed all of these communities, all of these port towns and cities all along the west coast of India and they established this blockade and if the British and the Dutch wanted to get through to the west coast of India to trade in spices, they had to deal with the Portuguese armada and get through this blockade. So the Portuguese were, they were a big deal and they were this huge colonial power in India at this time and of course being a colonial power that meant that they weren't all that great to their hosts um, and levied all sorts of taxes and basically forced this monopoly and insisted that if the Indians were going to do any trading, it had to be through them. Uh, So they were getting bigger and bigger and bigger in this region. They ran into a problem, though, with some of these smaller settlements. So they kind of were able to control these, these larger communities, but some of these smaller areas with these like kind of small rulers who had firm control over a small region uh, were quite resistant to the Portuguese. And one of these spots was this city or like a smallish city, I think was yeah. what I was gathering. Like a, like a port city. Basically. Yeah, a port yeah. city yeah. of Ulal, uh, which was where this Rani Abaca was queen. And they, under her her strong 
rule and resistance and it's from what from what we're seeing um certainly since she's she's kind of a folk hero she was very beloved by her people mm-hmm. and they rallied to her as as kind of a symbol of indian nationalism and she refused to submit to the portuguese um power she they wouldn't pay tribute they wouldn't pay taxes they wouldn't obey the laws and of course the portuguese i'm sure initially thought like well this will be easy we'll just go in and, <laughs> and overthrow this this small time queen and we'll <laughs> we'll establish um establish ourselves pretty easily but they ran into quite a bit of trouble because as it turns out rani abaka was a very impressive military leader wasn't she indeed she was a tough nut to crack she was a tough nut to crack <laughs> <laughs> yes absolutely um so i I'd also like to point out that she was one of the first to start resisting the Portuguese. Right. So I like that too, that she wasn't following a tradition of many other leaders in the area who were resisting. It was, she, she was in the forefront of the resistance mm-hmm, against yeah. the Portuguese. Um, and, well, uh, and you can, you can see why she's become a folk hero because India of course has a long history of struggling against colonial, colonial powers, powers. Yes. And exactly. trying to establish their yes. independence. Yes. She would have been sort of a, a figurehead. Mm-hmm you know, in the struggle against the British and, and this mm-hmm. sort of thing. Yeah. You can Absolutely. see her being powerful, um, in the imagination as well. So yes. Um, all right. So she's almost considered an early freedom fighter against colonialism. So I thought that was a neat way of phrasing it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and she repeatedly bested the Portuguese in naval battles, which mm-hmm. seems so satisfying because they're, they're really playing to their strength, um, their Navy and their power on the seas. And then she just takes them down again and again yeah. um, with her, her skill and strategy and smarts and, and diplomacy. Yes. And the, uh, yes. And the loyalty of her people. Like you mm-hmm. said, all the accounts I, I found, it seemed like unanimous support yeah. behind her and just like passionate, um, um, admiration. And that can't possibly be the case in real life. <laughs> you know, I'm sure she had detractors and, and this sort of thing. Um, but yeah, it, I've rarely read about, um, a historical figure who seemed to be able to so, so strongly rally, um, her people behind her. And I mean, they were fighting for their own, their own, um, economy independence, independence yeah. as well so i guess it it uh they have their own reasons as well but yeah she was really good at sort of fermenting um support and loyalty um all right so um i'm going to start at the beginning of her life and kind of carry you through a timeline um and we don't have a hard date on when she was born but apparently right from the start she was pretty extraordinary so she's well, and sorry, before you kind of get into her specifically, there's one other thing I forgot I, I wanted to mention kind of about the context here. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was this tiny little kingdom of Ulal, which um, had, it was this feudal kind of yeah. system. But interestingly, it was matrilineal. Yes. So women rulers were common and encouraged and... Um, she was uh, oh, one other thing to kind of point out here. She was a Jain, which was which I believe still is, of course, a, yes, a religion. religion. Um, and, but there were many other religious faiths in the area, yes. and that will be important later on. Um, but yeah, this was this this small kind of royal dynasty mm-hmm. based on the matrilineal line, which is pretty cool yes i noted that as well and i was like oh yes <laughs> um she's from the chowta dynasty mm-hmm. that was another part of her name that kept cropping up um abaka chowta and uh, the chowta dynasty was was a matrilineal um, system so yeah. pretty cool um all right so right from the start she was 
obviously or apparently an amazing child uh she so showed signs of being a visionary so they didn't go into more detail about that i would that really piqued my interest but uh apparently she had a lot going on and was very skilled um in military tactics and warfare so she showed a proficiency for that right from the beginning particularly in archery and sword fighting oh i have uh cavalry as well and uh, war strategy yes yes so um and um, wonderfully, her father encouraged these pursuits. So uh, she had support, parental support. Now, and, oh, again, this may be, so there's differing kind of accounts. I imagine that, mm. that the, so I, I had read that it was her uncle who, oh. who educated her and trained her and ultimately crowned her and arranged her marriage. Okay. Um, but perhaps it was her father, mm. perhaps uncle, some older male relative (laughs) (laughs) yes and i think this too is part of the trouble with the three figures versus Mm -hmm. one yeah that's true they may have both been true one might have been a father and one might have been an uncle and and that's what happens when you conflate multiple histories yeah (laughs) yeah very good point um so the next detail that i found was that she was married to a neighbor king um of banger was the area um, but the marriage did not last long. She quickly ended it, and the process she had for ending it was by returning the jewels that he had gifted to her to establish the marriage. And now, oh yeah, and here's another instance where we may be running into oh. trouble with these three people because yes. there are also accounts that um, this man that she married was, um, oh goodness, uh, Lakshmapa Bangaraja. <laughs> who was the king of Mangalore, hmm. which was a very powerful dynasty. And um, in the accounts I read, that marriage seemed to last and, hmm. and was was fine. <laughs> it was good. <laughs> and helped strengthen her position against hmm. the Portuguese because here she's being backed by another powerful ruler with, I think, probably more... Um, wealth and influence resources, resources right. yeah mm. so again yeah this mm. may be another situation where this is two women right or three women yes. who <laughs> have different experiences yeah yes. because with this marriage that i had read about it was the opposite her ex-husband ended up allying with portuguese against her now so. one of Whoa. the accounts i read okay. this is getting a little confusing <laughs> here um but uh one of the accounts that i read was saying was speculating that 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 hypothesis is um, conflating the, that king's nephew oh. with her husband himself. And um, so some accounts are saying that it was his nephew hmm. who the Portuguese convinced to act on their behalf and conspire against his uncle and his uncle's wife. Hmm. My goodness. Um, so... Again, this is a little (laughs) swirling sands of time. (laughs) We're sorry we can't present you with a more um, sort of clean timeline. (laughs) But it's all interesting. I mean, yes, Yes, indeed. Uh, So whether she entered a short-lived and dramatic marriage or whether she had a uh, long-lasting and helpful marriage, at some point we know she married at least. (laughs) And... um, um, so moving forward, um, we have a timeline of some of the battles. So it seems like the trouble started early as well. Yeah, it did. Uh, these Portuguese were kind of, um, well, the, I think well they, established, well established <laughs> yes. and they, she, she, right from the beginning, she wasn't willing to bow to them or pay them tribute, which, okay, they're irritated by that. Um, and I guess the other bit of context I have that 
the Portuguese, their, their modus operandi was to first, in order to gain control over these communities, they would first bargain for trade links with this community. And then once they had established those trade links, they quickly um, established control over trade in general. And then they would take over the, hmm. the land in the community. So it was kind of this sneaky move of, mm. of getting in there legitimately right. in the first place and weedling bargaining and weedling in. their yes. way in. And then once they're strong enough, hmm. they just take over hmm. and demand um, taxes and tribute from, from these communities. Interesting. So that was their method. And it sounds okay. like it did not work with, uh, <laughs> with the Abaca. They were met with armed Abaca. resistance. Yeah. <laughs> right from the front. <laughs> yes. So, um, okay, we'll start the timeline. Uh, mine starts in 1525. Um, and this is the first attack um, by the Portuguese on the South Canara coast, which I believe is that area. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this attack, so 1525, they destroyed the port of Mangalore. So the neighboring city, uh, which she may have married into, mm-hmm. was um, destroyed. And um, Abaka heard about this and started her defense preparations. So she's hearing about neighboring um, cities or ports being attacked and destroyed and basically says, we better get prepped as well. Um, so her, their first attack or the first attack on, on her specific territory, uh, came in 1555. So the Portuguese sent Admiral Don Alvaro de Silveira. He's Portuguese. <laughs> they have very Portuguese. flowery names. <laughs> yes. Um, because Abaca had refused to pay the tribute that they were requesting and she defeated them. Yeah, <laughs> so, she did. So they sent a fleet and, uh, they did not win. Then three years later, in 1558, uh, the Portuguese again attack Mangalore um, and commit these atrocities. So they start slaughtering the population. Men, women, children, everyone is put to the sword. Uh, They're plundering temples, burning ships, and then they burn the whole city. Mm. So she sees this go down. (laughs) She's obviously quite um, concerned. Um, So in... 1567, so a few years later, the Portuguese army attacks Ulal itself, um, but were resisted. So it seems like they can get a foothold in Mangalore, but when they try to attack specifically Ulal, um, her territory or her port city, it she's able to repulse them every time. And um, one of the, I think, ways that she did that mm-hmm. was her ability to rally all of the different people in the area to her, mm-hmm. whether they were of her religion or not. And she, she cut across caste mm-hmm. lines and she cut, ac- cut across religion. So it was uh, Jains, Muslims, and people of all sorts of other yeah. faiths, Hindus, Hindus and, yes. yeah, yeah. Uh, would fight for her. And right. so she, it sounds like she was a really strong diplomat and would get all of these people under the under the kind of overarching banner of Indian mm-hmm. nationalism and Indian independence mm. and convince them and encourage them to fight right. uh, against these foreign oppressors, which was really effective. And so, yeah, this very small community, she was able to fight off this extremely oppressive um, <laughs> or impressive force. Right. And um, I have notes here about how diverse even her own administration was. Mm -hmm. So um, you can see, you know, these groups may be coming in for the fight. Okay, we'll defend our territory together, but then kind of everybody goes home. Mm -hmm. But it seems like even her own administration um, in her city and and kingdom in her territory was also extremely diverse. Which is so smart because it is is an ongoing battle. So it just makes sense that you want to keep all of these communities engaged and together to kind right. of fight this overall because I mean, this is going on for 
for decades, of mm-hmm. course. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it's, yeah, it's like this yeah. really like long-term smart campaign of, yes. of focusing everybody on this, uh, this external threat. Yeah. I'm kind of pulling everyone's, um, talents you know mm-hmm. using yeah, the best of each sure. group yeah there was a note about um how she she was pulling from different casts and there was one cast that was a was like a like fisher folk <laughs> who were i think pretty considered pretty low in the cast <laughs> system and it was like she even included the fisher folk oh, well. like, oh boy <laughs> i mean if you're going to launch a naval battle i feel like they, there's a role for them yeah, yeah absolutely yes, yes. <laughs> so it was this very progressive strategy she was using and then there was no doubt that she had huge talent in military warfare and and military strategy so not only is she a great strategist she's also pulling Mm -hmm. together all these people to help and she was the one drawing up the battle plans yes yes and and firmly in charge at least on one occasion riding out with the army yes Yes. as well she was a warrior herself exactly there's nothing she doesn't do oh she's so cool (laughs) great um all right so um where do we leave off we left off in 1567 um, so the Portuguese have again attacked Ulal, but again have been repulsed. And so then I think the Portuguese, um, think, okay, we'll send someone different. So in the same year, they send general Joao Pesoto. Nice. I not know if I'm saying <laughs> that right. Um, and so he did manage to capture Ulal. Um, Abaca escapes the city and takes asylum in a mosque, um, and then rallies and counterattacks with 200 soldiers mm. and manages to kill a general and 70 Portuguese soldiers. So pretty good. You're pretty good. Yes. Yeah. For- <laughs> well, and, uh, I also want to point out that kind of between all of these battles, like mm. in the years in between, she was also doing a really good job of building up Ulal and like, mm. ex- like revamping and expanding the port, which nice. of course made the Portuguese even angrier because <laughs> she's making this port into a more and more important and uh, valuable, yes, desirable spot. Yes. spot. Yeah. Yes. And they just cannot <laughs> overcome it and take it for their own. And she's just flourishing uh, and making her, her port more and more important. <laughs> so they're just getting more and more irritated. I'm sure. It's important. Oh my God. <laughs> Come on. Ugh. You had to see that coming. Ugh. Oh boy. <laughs> she's awesome. So um, after she rallies and kills the general and a whole bunch of uh, soldiers, um, the rest of the invaders are forced to flee. Um, But what I found interesting, too, is that a whole bunch of the Portuguese were left behind. (laughs) um, And it said they were, like, drunken with thoughts of um, victory. (laughs) I don't know if it was, like, they got drunk because they'd been (laughs) left behind and then were easy to slaughter. Or they mistakenly thought they had won and were celebrating. I'm not sure what was going on here. But the description is, is sort of, like flowery we were, <laughs> we were smiling about that earlier yeah. um and so they um abaca and her forces are able to drive them out of uh, mangalore and mangalore fort as well so she sort of cleans out ulao and then um cleans up in mangalore a bit as well so uh, they got some help so two years later 1569 the fort is again retaken by the portuguese so it's just this like back and forth back mm, and forth yeah. through the decades um, and they captured another city called Kundapur nearby. Um, and in my version of the history where she had married and then um, divorced her husband or, or left her husband, um, this is the point where her former husband allies with the Portuguese. Mm-hmm. And, and in, uh, yeah, and I just, but it may have been it may have been his nephew, current husband's nephew. Right? Yeah. So someone at this point in someone her life, someone who her. knows her well. Um, betrays her and yeah. allies with the Portuguese, and they were describing uh, the, the research was describing how whoever this was knew a lot about her military strategy and how she ran 
um, attacks or defense. Um, and so they could basically leak her plays to the Portuguese. So the Portuguese knew what to anticipate and how to work around um, her strategy. So that um, made the difference. And unfortunately, mm. she was beaten. So this this defector ruined everything. Yeah. Um, and so not too much longer. So 1570, the next year, she forms an alliance with Bijan Sultan Ahmed Negar and the Zanmarine of Calicut. <laughs> so I'm assuming <laughs> well these done. are two local um, or like nearby rulers um, who were also fighting, fighting the Portuguese. And again, so super smart, right? The enemy of your enemy mm-hmm. is your friend. So she's pulling um, allies from wherever she can get them. Um, but unfortunately, this coalition ends up losing um, against the Portuguese, uh, I would say in large part because uh, whoever this betrayer Betray is yeah. reveal her strategies um and she's arrested and jailed mm-hmm. so this could be where her spirit breaks mm. but no dana no. it is not no <laughs> so what does she do in jail she starts a revolt in the prison Love it. <laughs> which is fantastic yes um and very tragically i have that she died fighting in this prison revolt now and again like here's where there are different accounts and again yes. this might be these different ladies and they probably were because okay so you said this was 1560 1570 was the last date i have okay because i have a later date ah, 1581 okay. so maybe this is one of the daughters mm, right um that again uh, the portuguese attacked with three thousand troops in hopes of overthrowing overthrowing the queen so speculating here that maybe the mother died in yes, prison that's what i was thinking perhaps she was um and the daughter carried on carried right. took over the throne and mm-hmm. and carried on against the portuguese uh who then of course attacked again in the hopes <laughs> of uh overwhelming them and um we should say that at some point this it was unclear at what point but at certain point the portuguese passed these edicts against ulal saying that all these trade alliances that because again like the port was really was growing it was strong and she was the queen was making these alliances and they were doing well in trade and the portuguese passed these edicts saying that all of these trade alliances were unlawful and illegal because all commercial transactions had to be conducted solely through hmm. the portuguese so they didn't like that ulal was trading directly mm-hmm. with um arabia and other mm-hmm. outside um groups and the queen, uh, so yeah, so the Portuguese said this is illegal, and we, you have to allow us to come into Ulal and set up trade posts, which of course is they're trying to get this foothold, right? Where they're like they're trying to party, yeah, sneaky, sneaky yes. bastards. <laughs> um, and the queen just. It says the account I read says that she dismissed them with contempt. <laughs> so she's having none of it. <laughs> no way. You're not getting because she knew, of course, knew, obviously yes. that Be as gone. soon as she lets them in, yes. they're just gonna they're gonna take over. So uh, she's not having any of that. Uh, and it is pretty like I mean that's I mean I guess that's colonialism that's imperialism but to just like, it's pretty bold arrive somewhere and, yes, and yes. just be like we're here now we rule yes. you, you follow pay us our taxes laws. Yeah. you yeah, yeah. Like, it's yes. just give us your money and follow our rules yeah. what <laughs> I mean it's I mean of course we all know this and like this has been you know for hundreds of years we know that some of our countries and heritages have yeah. participated in this so and it's not okay but it's just and we're still read... benefiting from the yeah <laughs> but but you read accounts can... like this and yes. you're like this is just. It's so not cool. No. It's so awful. And it's still so unbelievable that, right. you know, right. all these people thought that it was okay to do this and that they were acting properly by right. subjecting 
all of these. Yes. And, and the greed and the lust for power that would drive that kind yeah. of behavior is, is just horrifying. Yeah. It is. Yes. You should just make note of that. Right. <laughs> Dear <laughs> listener, now you know. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so wonderful, this story of these queens um, standing up to this colonial yes. power. But of course, for most people at that time and for hundreds of years before and after, mm-hmm. like the subjugation was awful. And they just, right. you know, these, these powers ran rampant over. Mm-hmm. And as you say, of course, we're all still kind of reaping the benefits from that, which mm-hmm. is a complicated issue but right. um and they were only a tiny pocket in a huge exactly, country exactly and, not to bring and, it down but <laughs> no and they and they you this know unusual fought for decades yeah perhaps a century yeah. but eventually you know fell before the the power mm-hmm. ah yeah the man the man yeah. capital M, yeah man. <laughs> it's depressing yes sorry <laughs> sorry uh-huh. to be downers yeah so okay so anyway back yes. to this i have this uh, 1581 date where Portugal attacked with uh, 3,000 troops in the hope of overthrowing the queen and taking over the port. And uh, she was caught off guard, unfortunately, Mm. at this point. They had this uh, pre-dawn attack and she had just been returning from a trip to the family temple, which I don't know how far away that was, but it sounds like she was kind of on the road and she got back kind of just in time. And uh, so she was caught off guard, but she wasn't to be daunted. She quickly threw on her armor and <laughs> rode out with her army and her rallying cry was, let us fight them on land and the sea, on the streets and the beaches. And she led a fierce battle. Unfortunately, she was wounded in a barrage of gunfire mm. and was whisked away by her own soldiers. And uh, the Portuguese, they searched for her but could not find her. So it's mm. a little bit of a mysterious mm-hmm. end for that Ooh. queen so yes. i don't know if you know did she die of these wounds um or or what hmm. it's unclear i like it mysterious yeah mysterious <laughs> we really like these mysterious endings <laughs> fade away into yeah. obscurity and no one knows what happens i think we like it because it's like they could still be out there Ooh, fighting I love it. <laughs> hundreds of years later like she- wonder woman or something <laughs> yes awesome <laughs> So whatever happened to these three (laughs) women, um, they were absolutely just rallying points for the, the community around them. They were strong leaders and they, they encouraged their soldiers to, to fight against this colonial power. And of course, as we mentioned, they became these, these, symbolic figures for Indian nationalism. And apparently um, one of these queens, I'm not sure again which one this might have been, but one of them became known in Europe as this kind of cult figure. And you can imagine why, right? All of these Portuguese are like, oh, this woman, this queen, and she won't, you know, submit. And You can imagine them secretly admiring her. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) And can you imagine like, I'm sorry, but all of the British and the Dutch were probably like, <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> they're loving this. Yes. They're loving this. So yes. she became this like kind of mythical figure in India who with this woman who was standing up and holding her own against the Portuguese. And so she became this like cult figure in Europe. And uh, there's this really great contemporary account from this Italian tourist Pietro della Valle, <laughs> um, who was really impressed with the uh, authority imposed by the queen and how strong a ruler she was. And uh, this this account um, 
talks about he, he's very p- perplexed about how this <laughs> simple looking like apparently somewhat chubby uh, <laughs> uh barefoot woman had been the talk of all europe where she was a cult figure uh so i'm just gonna read his his contemporary account because it's pretty great Alighting from the canoe, I was walking along the bazaar in search of a house where I could spend the night, whereupon I virtually stumbled upon the queen quite inadvertently, so to speak. I saw her coming in my direction from the opposite side. Barring a couple of soldiers, perhaps as escorts, there were no women accompanying her. The soldiers were marching in front of her. They had put on clothes sparingly, as was customary here. Um... And a few more were marching behind the queen, one of them holding an umbrella made of pinnate fronds of palm tree over the queen. Hmm. She was dark complexioned. She was obese yet agile. <laughs> I need like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Her steps were measured and quick. She must have been around 40. She had worn a dull white sari. She had no sandals on because Indian women of Gentile birth, sorry, uh, genteel birth usually remain barefooted, be it indoors or outdoors, and men follow suit. Only some wealthy people use footwear, which I thought was an interesting detail. Mm-hmm. Save for a piece of garment worn around the head and one hanging down her arms and breast above the waist, the queen did not have any other embellishments on her person. I wondered if this was the woman who was eulogized and made a cult figure all over Europe overnight for having made Portugal bite the dust by decimating its troops with a vengeance. Whatever her appearance, she was all dignity and aplomb in her bearing. Her words were soft and balmy. It looked as though she had a clear-cut vision and a well-defined purpose. And I feel the way she covered her face at times during interlocution represented the politeness and geniality of the Orientals. It would be wrong if I do not add that, though a bit fat, she never looked ugly. (laughs) She must have been beautiful in her youth. Her sober and nonchalant elegance has earned her the nickname tough woman. This <laughs> is a really great That's so fun. <laughs> picture of her, whichever of the three women this was. It's it's yes. pretty awesome. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I like that she had that sort of sort of minimalist aspect. Me right? too, yeah. I just need a simple sorry here. We can see how that like plays into the folklore legend of her as um like a woman of the people. Yes. Right? Yes. Very sort of democratic in what was not a democracy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Um, so as we said, her, um, the legend of this, of these queens gets conflated into kind of this single personality and it was passed down generation to generation in oral history through folk songs mm-hmm. and folk theater. Yes. Um, and it sounds like until fairly recently, that was more local um, to maybe this kind of this southwestern region of of India, um, but yes, I believe you've heard about some contemporary efforts. There are there are some um, some recognitions sort of coming out of the woodwork as she slowly gets a little bit better known, and we hope this episode is part of that trend. Yeah, but um, if you'd like to see her, and I'm curious to know if the the representation is the same as the description that you just read. But <laughs> um, a statue um, of Abaca was erected in the city of Bangalore. So if you find yourself in Bangalore, or if you are listening from Bangalore, yeah, hey, that'd can, be amazing. Uh, I agree. You First of could. all, please write in and correct our pronunciations <laughs> yes. and any other details we've got wrong. <laughs> you could uh, go see her in person, so to speak, yeah. and uh, let us know if they have her plain <laughs> shod or barefoot. And um, and also there's sort of talk of a documentary being in the works. So perhaps the word is getting out about Apica. Yeah. But, uh, I would love to see a documentary about that. That would be yeah. really fascinating. 
Yeah, uh, absolutely. Because, yeah, there isn't, there still isn't, uh, as we've made clear, the the, the history, the con- contemporaneous accounts um, are kind of drawn from the Portuguese. They were right. the ones who were writing down all of this, whereas the at the time the Indian um, kind of methods of preserving history were more oral. And, of course, that does not mean that they're not legitimate and very mm. well preserved. But um, just there's – because this is coming from two different opposing mm-hmm. – um, groups, it's, it's, the details are fuzzy. So the Portuguese dates may or may not be correct. There's confusion over these years. Mm. Of course, as we mentioned, there's confusion over, um, which of these three women kind of did what, Mm -hmm. and that all kind of leads to there, there's, there's a little bit of a haze around, around this figure or these figures in history. And there's, I mean, in doing the research for this, there's not a ton out there. And Mm -hmm. a lot of it seems to be kind of repetitive mm-hmm. um and i was trying to figure out like okay well where are these sources taken from and and a lot of them are taken from the the accounts that the portuguese wrote and uh so it's a you know it's a little bit fuzzy but we do know that these women existed and that they fought against the portuguese and we have these accounts and yeah i think it speaks probably to their strength that we're seeing such a strong portrayal of them from their enemies. I yeah, mean, that's we're very seeing good it point. through the lens of the Portuguese who, mm-hmm. who might, you know, deride them and make them sound awful afterwards mm-hmm. uh, being their former enemy, but uh, we're still getting a very positive and strong portrait of them. So, you know, kudos to them. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes. That's a really good point. I wanted to mention too, that, that her story kind of reminded me a bit of Ching Shi's. Yeah, I was thinking the same. The way that we're getting it through the the or a lot of information from their opposing side mm-hmm. or you know the research isn't there as much as we would like to see it and mm-hmm. and not many people have heard and they're sort of coming into public consciousness More, yeah. now uh, you see them a little bit but yeah it reminded me of that in some aspects it did yeah i would say uh abaca is, is um, a more legitimate Um, power than (laughs) ching chi she's not a pirate this is true yes (laughs) Yes. um but yeah they did she did remind me of uh of ching chi a little bit Mm -hmm. yeah pretty cool well i mean i don't have anything else do you nope i am also all right well if you would like to learn more i I think there's probably not actually a whole lot more you could learn <laughs> but, but if you find any other but yeah if you find it yeah if to you hear do your it. research yep. we'd love to hear it but we uh as always i will post the resources that we used um in researching uh, our episode today along with the audio on our website uh as always once again you can find us on itunes or whatever whatever other podcast app you use uh, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear topic suggestions as well as comments about about past episodes. Uh, you can write to us at yesterladies at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash yesterladies. And you can find us on Twitter where our handle is at yesterladies. Um, so uh, we look forward to hearing from you. That's always great. Uh, but until then and until next time, I'm Dana. And I'm Heather. And thanks for listening. <laughs>